0: Do we see you at Groundswell this year, the 26th and 27th of June, close to London, UK? Many friends of the podcast will be there. John Kempf, Abby Rose, Benedict Bozo, Henry Dimbleby, Claire Hill, Russ Carrington, Andy Cato, Tim Coates and many, many more. See you there. You're going to listen to a conversation about agroforestry and how to finance the planting of trees on a farm. If you're interested in people building vehicles to scale up regenerative agriculture space and build soil, this is the interview for you. We discuss why agroforestry is so interesting, but also so challenging, and why chestnuts are amazing. Enjoy! Welcome to another episode of Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered, a podcast show where I talk to the pioneers in the regenerative food and agriculture space to learn more on how to put our money to work to regenerate soil, people, local communities, and ecosystems while making an appropriate and fair return. Why my focus on soil and regeneration? Because so many of the pressing issues we face today have their roots in how we treat our land, grow our food, and what we eat. And it's time that we, as investors, big and small, and consumers, start paying much more attention to the dirt slash soil underneath our feet. Before we get started, I've been recording these interviews next to my day job and I will definitely continue to do so and release about an episode a month. But at the same time, I would love to take this further, share more interviews. There are many more stories to share on investing in regenerative food and agriculture. More depth, improve the quality, maybe even doing some video series. So I started a Patreon community, which makes it easy to support creators like myself. If these podcasts have been of value to you, and if you have the means, I invite you to support me and make this happen. For more information, please find the link to my Patreon account in the description below. And now, without further ado, the interview. Enjoy! Welcome to Investing in Regenerative Agriculture, Investing as if the Planet Mattered. I'm Koen van your host, and today I'm talking to the three co-founders of Propagate Ventures completely focused on introducing agroforestry in existing operating farms. Basically making sure farmers plant many more trees on their land. I'm really excited to learn more about their work and ask them all about the nerdy details. Welcome Ethan, Jeremy and Harry.
1: Thanks for having us. Excited to be here.
0: So to start with a personal question and we're going to keep it brief because otherwise we'll we'll spend the next two hours on this. But how did you, the three of you actually end up individually on the soil and how did you end up, the three of you working together on soil?
2: Yeah, uh, it's a great question. It goes back far into the roots. This is Jeremy here, um, just for the viewers to know. Voices. Um, so my my roots are, are actually in a family business um, in and around stair and railing manufacturing, um, which was intimately connected to kind of the, the housing markets. Um, and through my family, intimately connected to uh, the timber industry. Um, so from from there, kind of got a little bit of. Uh, the start in and around trees um, and what they do for the market and then went to college um, started working on organic lettuce and grass-fed dairy farms Um, after college uh, took a stint in san francisco working for uh, a few innovation firms um, learned how to design software um, and build software Um, moved back to new york and survived uh, my software life uh, to return back to working in agriculture and wanting to try to shift that system. And that, that kind of led me into back to my roots, uh, wanting to work with tree crops um, as a result. Um, there's a longer story there as to how Propagate Ventures kind of came into being, but I want to give these two guys an opportunity before we jump into how we came together.
3: Hi, Kuhn. Thanks for having us. This is Harry here. So... I was an athlete for a good amount of my life. I was an Olympic hopeful up until 2015 in the sport of modern pentathlon. Uh, So my performance was dependent on the quality of food I ate, and the quality of food I ate was dependent on the soil that it was grown in, and burning so many calories, I not only had to ask where my micronutrients came from, my fruits and vegetables but also where my calories came from. And that led me to look into broadacre agriculture um, and the status quo of where humanity's sustenance is grown. Uh, And I grew up uh, at a summer camp, and that land stewardship ethic led me to want to... Uh, make farming more sustainable, more regenerative uh, with tree crops, uh, having grown up in the, in, in the forest. And my, my background is in finance. So working through the time value of money and uh, and, and combining uh, traditional finance with forestry um, applied to farmland, that, that's really where this idea of agroforestry finance came from.
1: And I'll hop in here. This is Ethan, I guess I'm last but not least. Uh, so my background has been working with uh, startup companies and consumer brands on their sustainability strategy uh, all through the course of small little startup companies through to larger brands like uh, the Super Bowl. And so I had an opportunity to see a lot of the movement in the space of impact investing, in the space of social entrepreneurship, Uh, and how brands, specifically consumer brands, were playing a role in the the next phase in which we're looking at a sustainable future. Uh, And one of the things I had started to look at through that that time was uh, what were the leverage points uh, really focused on the renewable energies and clean tech space for a while and the movement we've seen there, especially in the impact investing front, uh, and then what is the next leverage point? in terms of the impact that I think we'd all like to see uh, take place. Uh, and that led me into agriculture. And I, I think the three of us all had an opportunity to engage with agriculture based off of the food we were consuming uh, f- through health concerns uh, or from on Harry's side of the, the coin, uh, the importance of the nutrients for athletic performance. Uh, I'm myself, I'm diabetic, so... Uh, the, the nutrient value of, of the food I was eating, I found was intimately connected with um, the, what I've been saying is, if it's healthy for the earth, it's likely also healthy for me to consume. And that is what, one of the ways in which the three of us really came together and understood some of the leverage points in which to intervene in a system that has an opportunity to, to create solutions rather than cause problems. And that's agriculture.
0: Yeah, that, that make, makes extreme sense as a leverage point. The land that we have, so I want to ask the question. So, from that, how do we make land more sustainable? How do you get to agroforestry and introducing that?
2: Yeah. So the as a as an organization, we're the, the, the kind of the onset of the research that led us to agroforestry. Um, we did a lot of travel. Um, talking to farmers across the U.S. Um, and around the world, um, across from, from anywhere from France down into Brazil to Argentina. Um, and a lot of what we were seeing in terms of the motion of the industry of farming and, and how things were moving was toward some of the regenerative solutions in, in soil. Um, so that be no-till agriculture, uh, grass-fed, uh, holistic managed grazing, um, and what we found was there was a little bit of a gap in areas where there were land was naturally forest land, um, but there was it was still in productive agriculture. Um, so we, we kind of saw that there was a missing void in this regenerative movement to be able to make tree crops a profitable uh, layer to the farm landscape. And there are a few pioneers that have done this across the world in terms of their research over the last four years um, that have really kind of gone through the process of feeling into what works and what doesn't, uh, failing, uh, and we have a lot of their work to attribute to, what what we found was that for most farmers, putting their money into tree crops for a long-term investment was uh, too big of a risk relative to their cash generation, uh, whether it be uh, cattle or annual grain. Um, So what we wanted to do was to give them the capacity to be able to potentially put those trees in the ground that with lowering their upfront risk. And that was a real discovery process over the course of a year of talking to a lot of farmers across the entire industry, looking at where the gaps were in investment um, for deployment of uh, systems that were regenerative. Um, Agroforestry as a whole, in terms of the the general um, practice we landed on primarily out of its regenerative capabilities um, in terms of its both production from an economic standpoint, as well as production from an ecological standpoint standpoint, to be able to regenerate soil um, as well as sequester carbon, uh, prevent nutrient runoff, um, prevent soil erosion, things of that nature. Um, So it was a real journey in in conversation to get to where we are, where we landed on agroforestry as the primary lever uh, that we wanted to focus on.
0: And during that journey of a year that you described just now, were you already the three of you or how did you, or did you find each other during, during the journey? And if so, who started?
3: Yeah. So Jeremy and I were introduced in the spring of 2016 through a mutual friend and Jeremy and Ethan actually went to university together and Jeremy and I uh, linked up uh, and with Ethan over this, I guess, past almost two years now, we've uh, been on the journey together.
0: And so you ended up on how to bring agroforestry to scale, basically. And um, can you walk us or me and and the listeners through what you ended up uh, developing and what you're currently, of course, it's still under development, but what are the main, what what can you offer a farmer? Let's say I'm a grain farmer, um, somewhere where you're operating What's currently the process to, to start getting more trees, productive trees on my land, which I don't have at the moment. At the moment, it's just a flat uh, grain land without any, any trees, unfortunately. Do you want to learn how to invest? Or are you an entrepreneur and want to build companies in the regenerative food and agriculture space? Or do you work in big ag and big food and want to really move the needle? We have developed a new video course for you. Find out more on com slash course or in the show notes description below.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So the the, the first thing that we do, when we work with farmers, is start with their goals. Um, we have uh, our first program that every project goes through. is, is called the subsoil, which is our, our name for it, um, which is an audit that allows us to determine what the farmer's goals are existing operation and um, a a system design that fits that operation and that uh, within the budget price points and their goals for how they want to deploy those trees over time. Um, And then there's some other stuff that we do in the background um, as kind of uh, assistance with regards to market analysis to determine the market for those trees uh, through to management workflow analysis to to make sure that the the labor that will be applied on that project will be there and it will be properly Executed to to bring those products from those trees to success in the marketplace, um, and then from there we have two vehicles that that we that that are depending on the farmer's goals we utilize to deploy those trees. One is a a debt vehicle, um, which for specifically for farmers that want to own their own system on their land and operate their own system, um, where they pay over the course of a three to seven year term for trees that'll be deployed over the course of that time frame uh, across their landscape. Um, Over the course of that time, they're buying into that system. We're assisting them through to the deployment. After the deployment, they take on ownership. And then we have kind of softer uh, market uh, help that we provide uh, as a service um, with regards to things um, like helping them get their their, their products from those trees to market. On the other side of it, for farmers that don't really want to operate their system, they're they're focused heavily on grain or grass-fed beef, but they still want the benefits of the trees and then potentially some passive income, what we do is we enter into a profit share partnership and take on uh, the equity in those trees. We do this through taking on a ground lease um, for the footprint of the trees and um, a very low cost, and and then they actually engage in a profit share partnership on the returns coming off those tree crops in the long term. What we do is then bridge project level finance requirements um, by bringing in outside investors um, to to make up the capital requirements to operate those trees over their lifetime. Um, and those are the, the two vehicles that we have um, that bring trees to the landscape. The goal really being to have productive, economically viable and eco with tree crops with an ecological underbelly um, that provides inherent um, uh, ecosystem services in the process.
0: And, and what kind of trees should I imagine as as a farmer? What can I imagine that that you are working with now that you could uh, pr- promote to me and what what would that look like in terms of products, what you mentioned?
3: Yeah, so we primarily focus on fruit, nut, and timber trees. Uh, those those so which trees would go on, which landscape is dependent really on the goals of the farmer. So if the farmer is, a very sociable person that say runs a vegetable CSA and has ten acres of pasture that they want to turn into orchard, then apples or any type of pom or stone fruit would be a, a good fit for them. Why is that? So the, the apples would be a, or any type of fruit would be a better fit for a more social farmer just because of the amount of management needed to maintain the system. Uh, The amount of labor hours for an apple tree to uh, fertilize, spray compost tea, prune it, and harvest every year is much greater than the time requirement to plant a timber tree, prune it every few years, and then manage the final harvest after 15 or 20 years.
0: So it means that if a farmer likes to have people on on his or her farm, apples might make sense. And if they don't, then probably another type of tree is more appropriate.
3: Yes. Yeah, exactly. So timber would make much more sense for someone that is much farther away from markets or doesn't necessarily want to interact with more employees. So,
2: say poplar timber or locust timber uh, would be a good fit. And then a note on that also is a, a lot of the conversation isn't around what the financial goals are around these trees. Um, and and if if a farmer wants higher returns, given the footprint of the trees, fruit is uh, fruit is a far higher return, but a little bit, but a lot more management risk. Um, and then you have timber, which is a lower management risk, but a lower return relative for, for, to the footprint. Um. So it really it it is a question of what, with the goal with the goals of the farmer in mind, um, with the goals of the project in mind, and the soils and what can be possibly uh, planted in those in those areas. Um, what is the best fit? Um, and that's all discovered through the audit
0: process. And and in terms of the market for the products, what do you see? Are the big developments in terms of fruit and nuts and and also timber in the U.S. where you're where you're operating? Is there a strong push? Uh, or pool, depending on uh, how you look at it, to, towards local and more regenerative? Is that something that brands are, are starting to look for and thus working with you guys would be interesting?
1: Yeah, absolutely. It's a great question. There's there's a lot of movement, I think, on the, the side of where, bland, where brands can play a role in, in this. Uh, and it's something that we're actively thinking about and, and pursuing. So from from the perspective of, uh, where, where a brand might play a role, there, there's definitely a piece in terms of connecting with uh, what, what we would define in our, in our office as the, the aspirationals. This is, this is typically this is, a, the, this is a consumer base of essentially it's like Millennials Plus and these are the very conscious consumers that are looking at the, the inputs of how their food is grown, uh, they're typically more on the organic side. Uh, looking, these are the consumers that are looking for products that provide some sort of social or economic value uh, back to uh, a specific theme, whether that be environmental or educational, or I know water, water is a, a hot topic as well. So, where brands play a role and how we engage with with brands in that process is uh, bringing buyers earlier to the discussion, and what that means is we're looking at these complex supply systems that brands are engaged in, in terms of the development of their products all the way through to the, to the sale of their products. Um, and the, the way in which we're, we're understanding this discussion is that by bringing brands in and buyers into the discussion earlier, there's an opportunity to, to, to engage in pre-purchase agreements uh, that allow to create some certainty for the farmers that we're working with in terms of putting those trees in the landscape. Uh, now in the world of solar, this similar kind of framework of thinking was taking place through the concept of the power purchase agreement.
0: Yeah, it was going to be my next question. Yeah, <laughs> Perfect. So Kate, can you walk us through that? How, how would that agroforestry and solar seem to be, I mean, they're both, a solar business as trees use their leaves obviously but but maybe that's a, a bit far-fetched uh, can you walk us through the, the the similarities and and why it makes so much sense to go towards those purchase agreements and and what can agroforestry learn from solar which is a bit more ahead
2: yeah absolutely um, a few nuances in, in the model as a whole and um, the kind of model off of solar first and foremost being a uh, in the landscape, a farmer or a landowner can own their own system and pay in to that system over time, or they can uh, lease their land to a, to a, some sort of installation company that's selling to, into a utility. Um, and a lot of what gave the certainty for uh, bigger financial institutions to come in and start lending into these markets is because utility companies were taking commitments through things like the power purchase agreement. Um, as a re- result, you have a certain buyer. You have a certain market that at a very at a base price that that energy is going to be sold in, um, and that provides a little bit more certainty to for investors to actually put their money in place. Uh, on and how we kind of learn from that in agroforestry, trees like solar are are long term assets that provide year over year income generation. Um, and the though we have a lag time in production, which is really the biggest barrier for us, we can we can utilize pre-purchase agreements to build certainty, such that three to five years before the trees start producing, we have commitments in place to, to build certainty in the market. Um, and that allows us to say, we can plant if we plant 100,000 um, trees next year, those trees have buyers in place, or at least a percentage of them do set in at a certain price. And there's a whole slew of kind of nuances to what makes a good pre-purchase agreement and how that builds uh, better certainty for investors, but um, the way in which the, the general concepts are very closely modeled
1: to uh, the solar industry. And to add a piece to that, um, one of the fun pieces about this and, and why TREES offer so much excitement is uh, on the side of, as brands are engaging in this process, there's certainly the economic value that we can, that can be driven. Uh, and as those trees are growing, and there's an extraordinary amount of uh, ecosystem services that take place. And for from the perspective of some of these companies that are looking to engage in uh, either a more transparent supply chain, or as we'd like to call it, a, a supply web, or, or are looking to increase their engagement with sustainability and have aggressive strategies around how they might go and do this in terms of reducing carbon emissions uh, and, and whatnot. A piece of this is in the earlier stages as we're looking at that economic lag time with which are taking place um, so effective of engaging with the passion points of consumers. Uh, the, the systems that we're looking at are offer uh, a, a nice touch point both on the uh, engagement with consumer side and on the economic value side uh, and kind of covers a, a full range uh, of Uh, valuable assets, both tangible and intangible assets that can be uh, utilized from the perspective of a brand that's engaging uh, in this type of work.
0: And in terms of concrete brands, because you're a relatively young company, um, can you share a bit of of maybe some names even, but if that's not possible, obviously not, of brands you are, type of brands you are working with that are engaged with you to see how they can get many more trees in the ground?
1: Sure, absolutely. Um, and this is, a, this is a constantly moving process. Uh, one, of, one of the brands that we're, we're excited to be working with is a brand based out of Quebec, a brand in uh, They're a personal care brand, uh, and they're looking at the value of apple cider vinegar uh, for shampoo and conditioner products. One of the ways that we're working with them through this is, is uh, producing apples uh, on a farm in, in southern Quebec. Uh, that those apples will go direct into their supply um, for the creation of these apple cider vinegar-based products. Now, there's a there's an extraordinary amount of carbon offset, uh, or, or what we like to consider a carbon inset, uh, meaning those offsets that are taking place, so the, the reduction or the carbon sequestration that's that's happening there uh, it is built directly into uh, the productive trees. That are going direct into their supply web. Um, so this is a brand that we're working with, and we're really testing out uh, the the model and and working very closely with these folks on on how this works. Uh, and there's a few other examples of brands, some in the um, hard cider space that are that are also apples direct to hard cider creation uh, and then selling that product. So there's a lot that's taking place. Uh, an opportunity for different brands to get engaged, and we're we're increasing opportunities for brands of larger magnitude to engage in this type of work
0: and in in this case the 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 brand in quebec how how does it work? Are these apple trees uh, are already in the ground or that's really are these are extra trees that are planted because you're working with the farmers and the company on the other side and basically connecting them and and making sure these trees going to the ground how how does it work in practice or will it work maybe i don't know how far you are
3: oh yeah no worries uh so that family farm currently runs uh, uh not an organic apple orchard but a conventional orchard and what they want to do is add an organic system into pasture land so where we are right now with them is in the Uh, orchard design process and not just the physical design of the orchard and what that looks like in terms of soil prep and planting and the overall implementation but but modeling the installation costs the management costs and the harvest costs um, put together with the expected revenues such that they can understand the present value of the system and what that's going to look like over time.
0: So these will be apple trees, sorry, to apple trees into a, a, a rangeland basically that currently doesn't have any trees in it. This will be a mixed livestock and apple system.
3: Yeah, so there there aren't livestock there right now, uh, although there could be in the future. Uh, it's a forested biome, southern Quebec, so it's, it's not like Saskatchewan or Alberta, which is mainly grassland. Uh, so it's a pasture that will be adding apple trees to not create a forest once again, but create a anthropogenic forest, uh, which is usually just called an orchard.
0: And, and what's the reason for the current non-organic apple orchard to not convert?
3: Yeah, so it's actually really difficult to convert a conventional apple orchard to an organic system. It takes between eight and ten years to do that. And that lag time generally renders the process to be not not profitable uh, at all.
0: You basically have to start from from scratch.
3: Yeah, it's easier to start from scratch. Uh, actually, during alcohol prohibition, at least in the United States, the government had all of the old heirloom cider orchards cut down and replaced all of that apple orchard with conventional production of a few uh, select varieties that, that most consumers are familiar with, but that was the beginning of the era of 100% conventional production when organic wasn't even a known term. So we've largely also forgotten how to grow organic apples, and um, rebuilding that industry um, is, is
2: it's a challenge in the Northeast, but it's also an opportunity. And just just for some some reference on that, organic apples in the U.S. as an example are growing have been growing at pretty pretty fast over the last uh, ten years, um, upwards of thirteen percent over the course of the last thirteen percent over the course of the last ten years. Yeah,
1: there's a there's a fun history on a lot of the lineages of how this all works, and we can definitely geek out on the details of of what the what the history and the historic value of uh, some of these different crop types in the United States are from apples to chestnuts and, and beyond. What, one of the
2: things I do want to recognize on that project with Oneka is we've had the chance to partner with two other great organizations, Regeneration Canada um, and Doctaire, who are working uh, on the soil side um, and, and the carbon offset side uh, of that project to kind of bring it to uh, a public audience of, of what a project can, can do. Um, and that's, they've been great partners in that process as well.
0: And, and how many trees are we talking about, just to have an idea, and how much shampoo is that?
2: Yeah, so it, it starts,
3: we're starting with uh, two acres, and then each year we're going to be adding additional acres there. Uh, that's anywhere from 60 to 100 trees to 140 trees per acre, uh, depending on the size of the tree, because apple trees uh, vary in size. Uh, from anywhere from eight feet tall to, to twenty feet tall um i'm at, we're actually not uh shampoo producers, so we're not sure how much shampoo that will produce but uh more it will be more than enough vinegar to satisfy oneka's needs for now uh we anticipate and the the apples. That will turn into vinegar. Uh, will likely end up being the B and C grade apples. So the highest quality apples can actually be sold just as as dessert apples to
2: eat fresh out of hand.
0: Ah, oh, wow! So it's a really multifunctional.
2: And it's it's worth mentioning that there's kind of multiple. Right now, what we're seeing is a lot of of the smaller brands wanting to wanting to play around in the space. Um, brands who are growing pretty fast, um, but have a really strong I mean, team ethic around soil regeneration um, and the, the the big players tend to move a little slower but the, the conversation is really starting to shift into larger and larger brands over time um, it, for example Patagonia and, and who else was part of the regenerative organic standard I and mean, Dr. Bronner's.
0: Dr. Bronner's yeah I interviewed Les a few months ago on, on regenerative agriculture and why they moving so aggressively in a good way in, into that space. It was very interesting.
2: And one of the big leverage points that they that, that they have is by bringing their purchasing power to the table.
1: There, there's a lot of fun that can be had in in the way this all operates and who's at the table. And I, the, the way that we really think about it is this this discussion that's being had around regenerative agriculture, all the way from where brands are engaging where uh, the finance community can engage to where the farming community is engaged is. In order to get it done at the scale that we think it is possible, uh, it's really about uh, bringing all the stakeholders together and seeing the value of every, every, everyone at the t- table uh, and really listening to one another and understanding what those leverage points are so that as we work together uh, with our different organizations, there's an opportunity to really bring this movement forward Uh, in a way that serves um, our businesses, that serves our livelihoods, and that serves the planet.
0: That sounds great. And I want to come back to the chestnuts later as I keep hearing them in in regenerative agriculture um, um, circles. But I want to focus a bit now on the company itself. So you've mentioned you're relatively young, but at the same time are having all these extremely interesting discussions with larger and smaller brands and a lot of farmers and are planning, I think, to to plant quite some trees this and, and next year. So, if you look one year ago into your company, but also the the larger regenerative agriculture space, what has changed since February two thousand seventeen and February two thousand eighteen, as we're talking now?
2: Oh, wow! That's that's a big question. Um, when we look, I guess when we look back uh, a year from a year to a year ago, where we were um, and where the industry was, um, we we were looking at an industry that was, in a lot of ways, still just beginning to organize around what what was occurring um, in different industry leaders trying to forge the conversation forward. Um, and it was still pretty young about a year ago, but things have seemingly rapidly moved over the past year, at least from what we've seen as a company internally, right? About a year ago, we were looking at a broad spectrum of different solutions that may be leverage, leverage points for, where we can bridge investment dollars in the space Um, and a year to today right we've landed on what we think is a really good deployable solution um, for investors and we think a lot of the industry is starting to mature in that way and finding finding some standard operating uh, procedures and standard operating um, metrics for what would make a successful industry around regenerative agriculture so we're pretty optimistic with the the growth that we've seen in the last year.
0: And and if we would take it one year further, so February 2019, what, what would you like to have achieved uh, in terms of Propagate Ventures?
1: This isn't a perfect world, right? <laughs>
0: yeah, you can dream, you can dream.
1: Yeah, right. I
2: think that there's a, there's a few things. I think that right now there's a lot of a lot of scared, uh, or pa- scared is the wrong word, a lot of patient money waiting for solutions um, that help mitigate risk and increase liquidity. Into this, into this market, into this new emerging uh, kind of set of assets um, that help ste- steward regeneration. Um, and I think in the next year, we're going to really see some kind of and us being, uh, we think a leader in this, uh, kind of some of the, these companies that have proved out their models and can, can bring investors a little bit more certainty uh, to the table such that a little bit, a little bit more of a, a wellspring occurs, where, where investors start to feel this is a, a more certain market for them to put their money into, uh, especially in the long term, because a lot of what we're talking about is uh, 10 to 20 year investment cycles on some of these assets. Um, so, I, I, generally speaking, a year from now, we what we think uh, is going to be seen is a lot more. Uh, investor readiness to come to the table and help scale some of these solutions that we're talking about.
1: And to add add there, and then where we think we we sit and where we see our value in the industry is kind of to relate back to to solar a bit. Uh, In the early days of solar, there was a lot of conversation around solar emerging as a new asset class. Now, we're pretty confident that the same can happen in regenerative agriculture. And where it sits of where we are as a company is focused on agroforestry. As, a, as an asset class uh, within this wider context of regeneration and be, being one of the folks that can help uh, bring that forward is something that we uh, pride ourselves on and it definitely probably keeps us up at night but also keeps us smiling during the day.
0: So how would it work as uh, agro, let's take agroforestry because it's a bit more focused on regenerative agriculture a, as an asset class uh, if we look now we go way back way forward 10 years from now how would it look like as an asset class if i'm an impact investor and um, i would like to have it in my portfolio or maybe maybe all the way throughout my portfolio
2: yeah um so the the way in which we're kind of building this out in our company is, is as a fund model um, where deployments can be done uh, across a multiple uh set multiple sets of different um asset types and crop types some that are shorter term faster term and that provide not as, as big of a of, of a return or a different type of return profile, um, depending on on the tree types that we're planting, um, and the, uh, and and depending on the vehicle whether they're focused on the debt side or the equity side um, to provide a little bit more diversity into what they might be able to choose their risk allocation is um, in kind of the in for us as an organization um, really what that looks like is being able to raise a fund um, that has pretty large scale for deployment because we're talking about managing trees over, over their lifespan. Um, and giving investors the ability to have stable returns at a competitive um, rate, um, whether that be something between five uh, to 10% um, on, their, on, their, on their investment. Um, so that way they can come in and have a little bit more confidence. Um, the, the goal is to be able to do deployments in a more stable way um, so that we have, we undercut a lot of that risk through engaging a lot of stakeholders because we have the capital requirements um, to, do, to make those deployments possible. Um, and, and that's bringing in brands and buyers at larger and larger levels across the supply chain, building kind of sub, subgroups like co-ops um, that'll help with some of the, the buying infrastructure in the middle um, at, the, at the ground level. Uh, of production and there's there's a whole slew so there's a whole slew of different um, kind of structures that are built around the base structure of a deployment model uh, similar to solar
0: and what would that mean in terms of because you have so many different tree types and so many different products also coming out of that would it all be mixed into the fund to create that diversity and to create may maybe slightly earlier payouts, medium payouts and later payouts because trees have obviously a different lifespan. Is that, is that an idea to put that together and, and create a more stable thing for investors or you're going to split it up because I'm very interested in chestnuts and you are very interested in apples and you're of interest in, in timber for instance.
2: Yeah. So the the way in which we're starting currently, so kind of build you up to where, we think we're going to go. Um, currently we're talking, we're looking at direct investment opportunities in specific projects.
0: So a project comes up and you're suggesting that to investors.
2: Right, exactly. And, and we're building kind of direct investing vehicles that make, that, that, that provide uh, d- different variable terms depending on what we're putting in the ground. Um, that's kind of the, the initial stage that proves out uh, kind of how we're doing deployments.
0: And, and how are investors responding to that?
2: Yeah, they're 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 looking at it as a long-term investment. Um, I think the the current stage that we're at, um, a lot of investors are, are pushing toward fruit production because it provides shorter returns, time horizons and higher uh, return rates. But they're they're interested in it as a concept currently, and will, are willing to play at a lower scale to prove it out. Um, so we've got a lot of positive perception on that front. Um, the long-term goal. As, that, as we build out those portfolios um, is to be able to provide a fund layer that works across both sides. Um, and the reason why we think that makes a lot more sense currently than separating out the different assets, whether it be different crop types or the debt or equity vehicles is because it helps um, stabilize the risk um, and it helps uh, the, the pool be a little bit uh, more flexible. Um, so that way we can, we can, Deploy relative to the pipeline of projects that are coming in in a more stable manner. Um, if we we've we've found that real asset funds are more interested in the bundle and and having that as kind of a, a, an entirely managed portfolio than they are in separating it out and picking and choosing um, the size and scope that uh, we're talking about. Um, we think makes more sense with them combined um, when we start to break it down to the at the project level. Um, it becomes a little bit more risky, and we have to manage a lot more conversations.
1: And the the, the piece of this that we're finding is, is quite attractive. Uh, is all the way onto the the farm level. Uh, we're looking at diversification in terms of the farm system, and then all the way through to the the investment piece. It's it's uh, diversify your portfolio. So it's it's a lot of the similar thinking that takes play, and it's 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 a very virtuous cycle that we we think. Uh, there's opportunity in at, at the the end goal. Say to,
2: say ten to twenty years from now, may there there may arise opportunity for us to separate those vehicles out to give exposure across different tree types. Um, but that has yet to emerge as a as a viable option at this stage.
0: It depends on scale, of course. Yeah, each crop type has different scales, uh, different levels of
2: certainty. Um, so we we want to be able to provide broad spectrum at first before we uh, start diving into one. Uh, in terms of giving investors the access to one specific vertical,
0: and and in terms of investors, because I know there's there's many of the farmland focused funds are looking at retail investors. They might want to go public at some point, or they want to bring in smaller scale investments, go to the crowdfunding or the crowd investing route. Is that something that you are thinking of and, and taking into account to keep? this movement or to make sure this regenerative agriculture movement is, is more democratized than maybe um, some of the solar movement or especially the wind movement has been?
2: Yeah. um, It's a great question. So we actually, if we, if we go back to the genesis of the organization, one of the primary goals was to, to, to lower the barrier to entry to being able to invest in um, this as an asset class. Um, There's a, a great company that we, that we like called Wonder Capital uh, in solar um, that has done this pretty well, and uh, we, we like in a little bit of we like the way in which they've approached this, which is there's still a minimum investment quantity um, that, that a person can put in, um, but it, it's it's small enough that it's accessible um, to investors um, that are not necessarily um, large scale, and we kind of have a similar thinking, and we we. We, we view this as a viable option for that model, um, and, and crowdfunding it within that framework um, similarly. I think we're we're being a little bit cautious to make sure we're not over-promising and under-delivering across this, because um, the last thing we want to do is start selling to um, kind of the smaller level of retail investors um, before we've proven out that it works at a, at a scale that's investable.
0: No, of course, I mean, you, you don't want to, to run that risk and, and... Especially as it's so early in the regenerative agriculture space, or at least in the vehicles that are investing in regenerative agriculture space, is is that one of the main barriers you see that the barrier to entry for investors is relatively high? It's, it's what I've heard in in some of these interviews. Is the barriers is the minimum is relatively high, which means you you're you're by definition speaking to a very small group, and and that that limits the amount of people that get enthusiastic, obviously.
2: Yeah, I think we. You're totally right on that, and the, the the cost of acquiring the capital is also very high. Um, so we, you have kind of have a, uh, a a little bit of a problem in the in the early stage, um, where you you have to you kind of you're, you're talking everyone that's that's trying to get money from a very small group of investors who are interested in, in catalyzing this movement um, are all in some ways competing for those dollars. Um, we like to think that in a lot of ways, what we're doing is an ancillary benefit to a lot of the existing uh, infrastructure that's being put in place, um, so kind of as, as a bolt-on. Um, the the thing that's also worth saying is we think that there is a huge amount of consumer interest at a re, at kind of the smaller levels of retail investment um, in this as a model. Um, we just I think at, and and we've seen that from from different investors that we've talked to, different kind of smaller scale um, kind of wealth that we've talked to. Um, they 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 want a little bit more certainty um, before they're willing to jump in, but they're really interested. So we think the the interest is there. We just need to we need to build out the the infrastructure for them.
0: Yeah, I see that here in in Europe, uh, where there's almost a second wave of solar, now leads to quite some platforms where you can actually starting at a very small amount, start lending to solar and wind projects. And finally, as a retail investor myself, have access to to that, even with a few hundred euros, or in some cases, even 25, but or in some cases, a thousand, but slowly get access to these, these five to 10-year loans with, with a nice payback that are part of the solar movement. And maybe 10 years ago, that was absolutely impossible unless you were a pension fund or a large bank. So you, you see that, but it takes time because obviously it has to be much more secure for for retail investors and thats that luckily because otherwise uh, we would have a problem but it 's exciting to see where at least solar has gone to and, and agroforestry as it 's much more personal and much more close to many people as we are all eating three times a day and, and electricity is not that uh, that sexy at the end. I think will be very interesting to see that that movement play out and see the the combination of of impact investors accredited. And um, a smaller, more crowd-based uh, investors, especially as you are working with brands that have a very passionate crowd.
2: Yeah, absolutely. We we we, we are we're right aligned on that. Um, we think that agroforestry has and this asset class has a broad spectrum of appeal. That it's ver- that the general engagement from the consumer um, is is going to be pretty high, um, especially when brands are involved in, in
0: the process. And and. To, to ask, I mean, I have a few final questions, but one, what are you excited about the last few months you've been working on? What what kept you up at night or what are you launching in the next few weeks that, of course, if you can share that, but that, that's something that's really, um, really on your mind at the moment. What is uh, what is happening at Propagate Ventures as we speak? As- aside from chestnuts? Aside for ch- Then I was going to ask about chestnuts, but I was going to ask first about that. if If they're chestnuts, we can kill two birds with one stone.
3: Yeah, so it's February here, it's going to be March pretty soon, and then it's going to be April, and the, the spring thaw is coming, and you really only have one chance per year to plant bare root trees, so trees that are shipped without soil on the roots, um, and before that happens, uh, you often have to do a lot of ground prep, so we are...
0: And just to be clear that one chance is spring.
3: Yeah, that one chance is spring. Um, and that might seem far away, but for for us it it definitely doesn't. And while we are a while we are an investment management firm, we're an agroforestry investment management firm, and that involves ground prep and planting trees and being outside. Um,
2: so that's something we're we're looking forward to for this spring. We we cannot express uh, how much we enjoy being outside of the city, um, and in in the landscape, putting trees in the ground.
1: We we and to, to add on that, I, and this is definitely something we, we chat about. It probably keeps us all up at night. Is uh, there's a there's a cultural component to the value of trees and uh, like the interaction of the the natural landscape or, or nature and the human economy, um, and we think that. The best ways to engage with that is like through the food we consume, through the materials we use to, to build things, the medicines we consume, et cetera. Um, and oftentimes, to kind of go back to where we started this conversation around the importance of soil, uh, that does come back to soil and trees uh, are, are, are a huge part of that value add. And so it's, it's something that we think about, or like the cultural significance uh, of being uh, able to kind of... have fluidity between the city landscapes and the the natural landscape um as as humans as a species start to move forward and continue to to upgrade the way in which we interact with each other and which with the natural world
0: I, i hear you i'm looking at i'm in an office space and looking at a at a window at another office space <laughs> and can wait for tomorrow afternoon where I, I can get out of the city and into the countryside where friends have a into the mountains actually where friends have a have a house so that's uh, something that I, I share and I think it's even I mean humans looking at a tree already reduces your heart rate which I think says enough about the incredible value they have uh, to to us on on, on all sides
1: Absolutely. I know one of the things in New York that everyone seems to love to do around, um, around the fall is everyone seems to rush to the orchards to pick apples and then rush back to the city. Um, we think it'd probably be a little bit more fun to spend a weekend on the orchard, uh, throw up a tent and, and, and camp out in the orchard. Uh, we, we've done that before and it's, it's, it's quite a nice experience.
0: And so to, to ask my final two questions, because I want to be conscious of your time as well, um, what do you have with chestnuts? And then we'll get to your advice or your, um, your advice to where passionate and interested and committed impact investors should start if they want to get involved into, into agro, agroforestry and regenerative agriculture. But let's start with the chestnuts.
3: Yeah, so I, I can take the chestnut question. Uh, so there are, people want to, globally, people want to eat more chestnuts than there are chestnuts grown. China and Turkey and somewhat France and Italy, um, and a little bit of Chile, are the chestnut exporting countries. Uh, But in the United States, for instance, a hundred years ago, a blight, a fungus from Asia came in, it's called the chestnut blight, and it killed 4 billion American chestnut trees. Uh, That's that's 4,000 million for, for the UK folk. So we, we have this chestnut culture that's, it's, it's kind of, it's, it's nascent, but it's also, um, it's, it's, it's in a period of Renaissance. So people want to eat chestnuts. The, The trees don't yield for a long time. So they're particularly well suited to, uh, our model, but chestnuts themselves are a caloric tree crop. So they're, they're a staple crop. It's like corn that grows on a tree. Uh, so they're a little bit different than apples. Uh, they're less perishable. They're easy to ship and they taste great. It's, it's, um, the, so Chinese chestnuts are a little bit less starchy. They're more sweet than European chestnuts. Uh, so they, you, you get flavors of sugar snap peas or, or maple syrup. Um, the, the more they dry, they take on lots of complex flavors. So yeah, ch- chestnuts are near and dear to us.
0: And so we can expect them to be introduced in in some of the systems and some of the farms you're working with uh, in the near future.
3: Yeah. um, What it really takes for them to be successful um, are are chestnut hubs. So there are several several in the U.S. Uh, The largest one is in Ohio that goes through, has capacity for 200,000 pounds of chestnuts per year. And. Uh, goes through about 100,000 pounds this year, and within the first 24 hours of opening this year, they they sold 60,000 pounds of chestnuts. So there there's definitely a demand for it, um, and even even if a larger co-op is is more viable, the retail price per pound is is 10 bucks a pound, uh, where apples are at organic apples are at three dollars a pound. So they're a really easy
2: product to sell for anyone uh, and just kind of brought on a broader uh, note there right, a lot of, on a, as a company we look at both kind of existing well-established market uh crops as well as emerging market crops and chestnut as one here in the u.s there's has been see, been reported growth uh, year over year um we had like as a as a country um we are c- currently under producing and can offset imports by planting about 5,000 acres of chestnut trees, which is about um, the equivalent of, I think it's 250,000 chestnut trees, which isn't a lot, relatively speaking. Uh, so we think we think we can get to at least offsetting the import market here in the U.S., if not more so, and growing that market.
1: And as consumers start demanding more gluten-free style products, chestnuts happen to make a really wonderful uh, flour, which has all sorts of wonderful baking properties, Uh, They happen to make some of the most delicious crepes you've ever had. Uh, So as as consumers demand these different types of products and the markets shift, we need to make sure that the supply meets that demand. And uh, both the the consumer engagement on this side all the way through to the the investment opportunities seem to be, are in the beginning phases of starting to match up, uh, which is one of the exciting things that we think, about chestnuts, they're just pretty cool trees.
0: And would it be something that you can introduce into a cornfield? Oh, yes. And as a farmer, I'm going to ask, doesn't, it doesn't hurt my yield, right?
2: So, yeah, there's a, there's a few nuances in the way in which you manage. So if you're alley cropping um, with chestnuts and you're, you're growing something in the row between the chestnuts, until the chestnuts grow up uh, to an age where they're going to take over the canopy, they won't hurt your, your yield. Um, and then, as they get to a, a stage where they're old enough, they will take moonlight away. But depending on how wide the alleys are, you can plan for your yield and, and, and reductions. And from what we've from some of the research that we've seen coming out of France, um, you can expect comparatively to just growing uh, corn or the, the existing crop, you get about a hundred and forty percent of the total yield off of a given piece of land by integrating trees. Uh, which is a big, big increase in production on one piece of land.
0: Wow. Yeah. And especially if you look at the the value that, that it gets compared to what you're growing in the middle.
2: Exactly. Um, the the margins on, on tree fruit and nuts is much higher than that on um, an annual grain, for sure.
0: Very exciting. I want to end with one question, uh, which could open a whole other can of worms. But what would be... Your advice let's imagine there's a whole group of uh, smart impact investors listening to this podcast that are ready to deploy their capital ready to make their first steps into regenerative agriculture where would you suggest to start for them where to look what to avoid um, what not to do and especially where where to to get to get started in this
1: that's a great
2: question and one that has um... A very, it's a very difficult question to answer. Um, the industry is still very young, um, and there's it's a it's a multi-stakeholder problem. Um, so you, depending on what they're looking at, they could be looking at anything from gr- a grass-fed beef herd expansion or bison herd expansion, um, through to a piece of land that um, that you could potentially appreciate in value um, through through companies like, for example, Farmland LP or Black Dirt Capital. So there's what we would look for is a really good strategy that takes the long perspective, um, trying to increase, appreciate the asset of the land itself, but also provide productive current income yields off of the land. Um, and if, uh, the, yeah, with with an ecological underbelly across that, um, we the way in which we like to think about it is if, if it's not economic first with an and with the ecological underbelly behind it, uh, it it's not going to be something that um, – is that, that we would look at um, as being a way to steward investor capital yeah.
1: and in our experience one of the things that we are certainly thinking about is uh, what's the value creation for the next seven generations for example um, and the indigenous communities here in the in, in North America and across the world are particularly good at um, and the way their culture operates in terms of having this type of thinking so on the on the like investor front Uh, of what are we thinking about in terms of our investments. It's to really look forward for the next generations. I mean, I I certainly know that, for example, I'm like chatting with my folks about what we're up to at Propagate, and then the conversation moves into like, hey dad, how about like your great grandchildren? They're still gonna be seeing value from the trees that we put in the ground today. And that starts to change the thinking about what's the future that we're um, making sure happens by by investing in it strategically today, but also in a way that creates economic value in the, in the shorter term uh, and creates value across the the very long term uh, for all the communities engaged and all the stakeholders. So it's it's really about a uh, at least at least in our sense about the framework in which we're we're thinking about this and how how we want to kind of embody the culture that that sets forth in motion what the next generations will have uh, to their advantage and. On that
2: note, it, it's it's building, helping, Like, if an investor were to come to us, really it's a question of their goals um, and, and seeing where that might align in the industry as a whole. There's a lot of opportunities. Um, um, it really just depends on what the investor's looking for. Are they looking for their, their grandchildren, the great-grandchildren, or are they looking for a, a five-year return? Um, if you're looking for a five-year return, uh, regenerative agriculture might not be the, the industry for you.
0: Yeah, I want, I want to thank you so much with that note to, to finish this interview. And thank you for your time, your, your honesty and sharing so much. I'd definitely be checking in with you guys to see how all those plans are going and how we're um, getting closer to the big fund and how we're getting closer to a much more regenerative agriculture sector. So thank you guys so much. Absolutely.
1: Thank, thank you very much. We appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, thanks, Kuhn.
3: And uh, for all the listeners, feel free to reach out on, uh, on social media or on Propagate.org. That's our news site. So we're uh, posting new content every day.
0: I, I will link everything below. Yeah.
1: And all of the above. And hopefully we'll have you uh, to share your, your insight and experiences uh, on a podcast one of these days.
0: You just listened to an interview with Ethan, Jeremy and Harry, founders of Propagate Ventures, working on planting many, many, many productive trees on farms. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did and think slightly different about chestnuts, cider, apple and shampoo. Thank you for making the time to listen to this podcast and making it all the way till the end. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. If you found the Investing in Regenerative Agriculture and Food podcast valuable, there are a few simple ways you can use to support it. Number one, rate and review the podcast on your podcast app. That's the best way for other listeners to find the podcast and it only takes a few seconds. Number two, share this podcast on social media or email it to your friends and colleagues. Number three, if this podcast has been of value to you, and if you have the means, please join my Patreon community to help grow this platform and allow me to take it further. You can find all the details on patreon.com slash regenerative agriculture or in the description below. Thank you so much and see you at the next podcast.